Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to another episode of Vitamin D&D, your weekly dose of Dungeons & Dragons, just what the DM ordered. I'm your host, Patrick, and here with me today, as always, is my fellow co-host and party member, Brady. Hello. Hello. Oh, man. I'm just expecting the hello there. Well, you didn't get it because you complained about it last time. All right, all right. Well, all right. So uh, <laughs> today, um, this episode of Vitamin D&D, we're going to be jumping into spellcasting. So this is kind of a, it's it's like, a, mm, yes, the arcane. Um, it's kind of a companion to the combat uh, episode that we did um, in the last episode. But you have to also remember, once you start reading through spells and their descriptions, there's a ton of spells that aren't combat related. And so they have... A yeah, lot of- it's... And there's a lot of them. If you just look through the Ooh. list of just spells in general, there's a lot of them. But yeah, this is this is going to go along with. It's going to be kind of more focused on the combat side of things, but as Pat said, not all of it is or has to be combat focused. So we'll just kind of talk about how to use magic, and then from there, you decide how you use your magic. <laughs> right. All right. So brief description of what spellcasting is: um, the magic that's in the worlds of Dungeons and Dragons is most often found in the form of spells. Um, so just think like Harry Potter and you know stuff that Gandalf is doing. Um, those are the spells. A uh, spell is a specific and limited expression of the magical energies that suffuse the universe. When casting a spell, an individual carefully plucks at the invisible strands of raw magic, which are often referred to as the weave and pins them in place in a particular pattern, sets them vibrating in a specific way, then unleashes them for the desired effect, usually in the span of seconds. So sometimes spells are just a few seconds, but sometimes they can be a long ordeal. Um, And there are two basic kinds of magic. There's the arcane. So the arcane users are like the wizards, warlocks, sorcerers, and bards. And then there's the divine magic users, which are the clerics, druids, paladins, and rangers. So the arcane users, they kind of get you know in touch with the weave using their understandings of its workings. Whereas the divine magic users have access to it um, Sorry, their access is mediated by the divine power that they may be in touch with, whether drawing upon, you know, their divinity's power or, you know, beseeching, you know, the the force of nature, that sort of thing. Yeah, you can kind of think of it as um, like in RL in real world terms of like, and, and bear with me. But like somebody, so there's people that play the piano, let's just say, and some people are just naturally good at it they can pick up and just learn to play it real easy that would be your divine um, magic users whereas some people aren't quite as just gifted at it and they have to work and work and work and play and play and practice 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 those would be your arcane uh, magic users so you've got the people who have to study and work and really try to understand it and then you just got the people who are gifted with it it's kind of a one way to think about it right yeah, it's it's kind of like um, the arcane. There's some work involved, whether it be the 
the spellcaster or whatever power they're getting their spell energy from and the divine magic they're kind of like just like borrowing the magic i guess I'd, I yeah they're I'd like a like channel that. yeah um so spells in the dnd universe are versatile tools weapons and they can also be protective wards um, such as the shield spell um, they can deal or undo damage it can impose or remove conditions drain life energy or even restore life to the dead looking at you necromancy thousands of spells have been created and lost to time some of those lost may have been recovered in some crumbling spell books or in the minds of dead gods a magic user may even be able to create their own spell given that they have enough power and wisdom to do so um, and actually there's a great section in the dungeon master guide where it talks about creating your own spell so you can kind of look to that even if you're a player even if you're not a dungeon master you can kind of look in that section if you you know are deciding to play a wizard who you know their dream is just to create some sort of magic to undo some terrible thing or to accomplish some goal yeah that'd be a pretty cool thing to like throw in your backstory and work with your dm but that's that's for another episode (laughs) yeah um and an example i i think of is uh the dunamancy school of magic that uh, matt mercer has introduced in the um in the most recent season the most recent campaign uh, for Critical Role. And so that's entirely his creation, kind of borrowing bits and pieces, but entirely new. And now that's, you know, in some big, uh, I guess, pre-made campaigns like the, um, what is it, Wild Mount, that you can take that adventure and play it on your own and kind of delve into that uh, school of magic that's completely new. It's not, not going to be in the player's handbook. So that's some extra cool stuff, you know, people creating all the time. Yeah, and uh, just the creation stuff and what they call homebrewing and things like that, we're going to go into that in uh, in future yeah. DM behind the screen episodes. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely something that'd be neat to, to work into um, your own campaigns if you're DMing and stuff. But anywho. <laughs> Anywhoosie, what's it? So, um, but yeah, so you've got your magic and you've got your magic users and stuff. And from the game perspective, um, so they, every spell has a spell level and it goes from zero to nine. And this, it's basically a general indicator of how powerful it is. So zero is going to be, uh, what we'll go into is called your cantrips, which are basically just like, they're the easiest spells that don't take any really you've either mastered them or they're so easy that you don't really have to worry about, you know, expending much energy to be able to cast these things. So those are going to be easy. Those are going to be your zeros and then go all the way up to nine, which nine are going to be your like, you know, cataclysmic world bending, like sort of big, big time spells, um, which there's not too many of those, but uh, they are, they are possible to get up to. So each class has that has access to spells um, will list at least will list at least what class level each spell level is gained. So you can put, you know, usually if you go to your player's handbook and you look in the description of them, it'll have a table if they use magic, and it'll tell when they get 
uh, new levels of spells and how many of those they get. And then usually with the higher levels that your character gains, you get more spell slots and you get more spell levels and things like that. So you can just refer back to that. Um, and it's listed, like I said, in, in the class description. But level spells nine are level nine spells are incredibly powerful. And as I said, some can even like alter reality itself and and do some do some pretty uh, big stuff. Yeah, but with great power comes great responsibility. It do it do be like that. <laughs> Sometimes it does. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's see. And that chart that Brady was talking about, that's the same chart in each class section that uh, will list also your, like, proficiency and yeah. you know, different abilities you gain per level kind of stuff. Quick reference guide sort of thing. Um, so each class, and this is on the same chart, um, will have a certain amount of known um, uh, spells that you can have prepared at a time. And so in order to cast a spell... You have to have the spell firmly fixed in your mind or have a magical object imbued with that spell. Um, so like a spell casting focus, like the, the bards typically have a musical instrument. Um, it can be something else, but typically a musical instrument that is their spell casting focus and helps them to cast that spell. And also the wizard's spell books. Um, some classes like bards and sorcerers have a limited list that are always prepared, while clerics and wizards must undergo a process to prepare spells, as detailed in their class descriptions. So, just for example, the wizards have to actually transcribe their spells into their spell book, um, and that's pretty much the only way they gain spells, because they're, like we've talked about in the class description, they're kind of like the, the bookworms, the studious magic people. So, they're hitting the books. So yeah, so you've got your known and prepared spells, uh, but then as I mentioned just a minute ago, you've got these things called spell slots, and the the this kind of represents the amount of spells of certain levels that a spellcaster can use before needing to rest and regain some of their magical energy and stuff like that. So even simple spells are mentally and like can be physically taxing, and a long rest restores any expended spell slots and stuff. And we'll we'll go into long rest later, but. Uh, basically, you can think of episode. these. We're never going to talk about we, long rest. We do, but we're never going to talk about it. We'll just, <laughs> it's a teaser. It's going to be the joke. Um, it, you you know you drink every time you, we talk about long rest and how we're going to talk yeah. about it later. But we will eventually, and then maybe. that maybe they'll rue the day. But um, so you can think of spell slots as the 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 chambers in like a revolver or something like that. You know, like a, a gun that has where you actually load in. Uh, the different types of ammo. So you've kind of got like your, your arsenal is all of your spells and that's all the different ammunitions that you can use. And then you've kind of got your bandolier, uh, which you keep your, your ammo in. That would be kind of like your known and prepared spells, what you're taking with you into battle. And then your spell slots is going to be kind of like the chambers in that revolver where you load certain, ammunition slash spells into that chamber and then once you expend that that shot or that spell then that chamber is used and you can't use it again until you you know clear out your gun uh, or take a long rest so uh, some characters and monsters 
Is that a, is that a fairly? Oh man, that was. That, no, I've never heard. It. Yeah, I've never heard that explanation. But I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. To me, I okay. guess. Okay. <laughs> well, just yeah. Well, take take it as you will. If you if yeah. you know anything about actual weapons and stuff, but we'll we'll break it down in more gaming terms. So, <laughs> Remember, uh, but it's some magic. characters. <laughs> yeah, it is magic. That is true. So I mean, magic lots gun to see it. But some characters, a magic gun. Yeah, it's a magic I mean, gun. You could. Yeah, I mean, you could make no, a magic gun. I, I mean, for the example, <laughs> it doesn't have to make Oh, I was meaning like in your, sense. I mean, in your game. I mean, it hey, would be kind of cool. Critical Role Season 1. You got uh, got Percy the Sharpshooter. That's true. Anywho, Off some characters and monsters can can cast spells without using spell slots. Uh, that's We'll talk about that. Uh, it'll be detailed in their description of their characters and stuff like that so you can cast lower spell lower level spells using higher level spell slots but you can't do it the other way around so you can't cast a level nine spell in like a level one spell slot uh, or anything like that so when you use a higher spell slot a lower spell quote unquote expands to fill that slot and it basically becomes a higher level casting of that spell so for example uh, you've got Magic Missile and Cure Wounds are first-level spells. But casting them using a second-level spell slot causes them to become second-level casting of the spells. Stick with me. And uh, some of these spells, including these examples, become more powerful when cast at higher levels, um, as detailed in their description. So things like, um, let's say, in these examples, Cure Wounds... Um, if you cast it as a, at a second, in a second level spell slot, basically you just get to do a little bit extra healing. Uh, or if you do magic missile, you get to deal a little bit extra damage. And if you were to put those in even higher spell slots, you get to either just do more damage or do more healing. But just depends on what the description of that spell says. But it allows it just to become more powerful and let you do more with that spell. Yeah. And the the spell description will be will be descriptive. It'll be specific about whether or not it can be cast at a higher level. Some spells can't. Like you know, some some yeah, first level yeah. spells they can't. They can, and I say that they can be cast in the slot of a higher spell slot, but they don't like upgrade. They don't like become like more powerful versions unless it says so. So it's just one thing and it's kind of a you know a faux pas you gotta read your spells uh, spell descriptions if you're gonna be throwing hey, spells around you gotta know what your spells do yeah yep if you're gonna be slaying <laughs> spells you gotta read them spells yeah. oops i uh i did a total party kill on my entire <laughs> adventuring buddies tpk yeah <laughs> so um moving on as brady said um the level zero spells are known as cantrips and are simple spells that are so practiced that your character can cast them almost reflexively without requiring a spell slot. So those cantrips you can cast at will pretty much, you know, unlimited amounts of time. I mean, without needing to rest, you know, a lot of them are fairly simple. You can like make sounds, you can make windows open and close and you can uh, like the, I guess the best the best cantrip quote best cantrip um, is the warlock's eldritch blast, um, and 
that one they just you, if you're a warlock you got to abuse eldritch blast because that's just you know you got to live up to yeah, the means. Um, and then moving on, I'm going to talk about rituals too. So rituals, um, it's a special label that you'll see on a spell description. Um, and spells with that label, they can be cast as normal. So not as a ritual, they can be cast as normal or as a ritual that requires 10 minutes longer than its usual casting time. So if a spell takes one minute to cast, or if it takes one action, which we talked about, um, you know, in the combat episode means six seconds. That means that it takes 10 minutes and six seconds to cast it as a ritual. The cool thing about casting it as a ritual is that it does not expend a spell slot. Um, but that also means that you can't cast it at a higher level. So you can't cast it for greater effect at a higher level. If you're going to do it as a ritual, it's not going to expend a spell slot, but you can't bump it up, you know. Um, and, of course, the spellcaster must have the ability that allows them to cast ritual spells. Not everybody can do it. Um, you'll find in your class description um, or in other things about your character whenever you're making it, it'll let you know if you are able to cast ritual spells, kind of the conditions of that. Um, and unless otherwise stated, you have to have that spell prepared or on your list of known spells. That seems kind of like a no-brainer, but just you got to keep yourself in check on that one. Yeah, and just as we keep saying, all this is you know in your player's handbook and in the the chapter ten, which is spell casting and stuff like that. But you know, spell casting is a little bit can be intimidating, but once you understand it, it's it's not really that difficult. It's just the amount of information that you have to go through um, and just know because, you know, with each spell, um, so it, in, in Chapter 11, uh, each spell begins with like a block of information followed by the description of the spell's effect. So, you know, we're just rolling into casting a spell, but, you know, if you, if you do find the spells whenever you're looking them up, um, it does, it has, it tells you everything you need to know about them, what level they are, Casting time, range components, everything that you need. Um, so it's just a lot to go over. But uh, going into casting a spell, it kind of goes, um, you kind of start off with your casting time. So that can either be an action, which most spells require a single action. So that's going to be like your quote unquote attack. You know, if you were a melee user, this would just be your action. So it's either that, a bonus action. And these spells are cast, uh, especially swift. So you can't cast another spell during this time unless it's a cantrip um, with a casting time of one action. So some some spells get to be cast as a bonus action. Um, but if if you do, like I said, you can't cast another one unless it's a cantrip um, with a casting time of one action. Uh, there's also rea reaction. So these spells are cast in reaction to some event and take a fraction of a second. So this would kind of be like a like a counterspell situation where mm -hmm. somebody casts something at you, and if you have an available reaction, you can poof, do try and do counterspell, and that would use it as a reaction. Yeah, and they're the and then you not so fast spells. Yeah, like the ha ha. No, you're not. <laughs> so then it goes into longer casting times, which certain spells, uh, including some rituals, require minutes or even hours to cast. So when you cast that spell that takes a little bit longer than a single action re or reaction, 
you must spend your action each turn casting the spell until it's complete. And you also must maintain concentration or the spell fails. However, if you do fail, you don't expend that spell slot. It's only whenever you complete that longer time. So those those are going to be your more, I guess you could say, some of them are going to be your more powerful spells that take a little bit longer to cast. Or they're going to be able to do more than just like fire a missile or you know a magic missile or something like that. So um, if you are going to use some of those spells in combat that do take a little bit longer to cast, if, if that is the case, um, you'll need to make sure you communicate with your party members to be able to, you know, protect you or keep a watch on you. If it's something that's going to be done over a longer period of time outside of combat. Right. Yeah. It's, you gotta be pretty, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to commit to that long spell casting time, cause you got to remember that, each round is only six seconds. So if you've got a casting yep. time of a minute, that's 10 rounds of combat where you're just going to hopefully sit there and not get hit too hard and uh, not uh, not go down and you know, also not help out that much. Yep. And then you'll be like, oh, I was about to cast it, but I got oh, hit. Oh, I didn't finish it. What a uh, waste. Round nine. Ooh. Yeah. All right. So... Uh, Along with along with that, one of the um, requirements for a spell and its casting is its range. So it, every spell will say you know what kind of range it has, and it'll be listed in their description. Some ranges are expressed in feet to a target, so like you know how far away you can go. Um, so it's kind of like a uh, like a ranged weapon, like a bow and arrow, same kind of thing. And then some will refer to a you know the range as an area of effect you know whether it be you know you can place it this spell in this area and then it's gonna take up a sphere or a cube and you know that's the range it has um, some spells can only be cast while touching the target um, like uh was it a shocking grasp i think that's a touch spell um yeah or healing touch something like that yep, you know lay hands Obviously, you're laying. Yep, hands. there you go. Um, and <laughs> touch hands for all my, uh, all my not another D and D podcast, uh, Nad Pod people. Um, and uh, some some spells can only be cast on yourself. Um, so that's one thing. Like I said, read that spell description, and just be familiar with how you know it can be used because. And you, you can find lots of incredible ways that people utilize spells in very atypical fashion uh, just because they are, you know, kind of experts on, like, you know, what the rules say about it. Um, and in addition to the range, um, a spell has certain components, and every spell does. Um, they are the physical requirements that must be met in order to cast that spell. If you don't have all of the components, you're not able to cast the spell. It's not like a, you know, well, I've got one, you know, tail of a newt, but I don't have the wing of a bat. It's bad. You don't get to cast the spell. <laughs> um, and those three components are uh, verbal, somatic, and material. And you'll see them represented by like a V, an S, and an M on the uh, description of the spell. So if, if you see those things, that means that those are required. So if a spell has a verbal component, 
and a somatic component and a material component component then you got to have all three right um so going into verbal most spells uh, require mystic words that set the thread or threads of magic in motion if you are unable to speak or articulate these words you can't satisfy this requirement so if you've got some sort of you know binding on your mouth if there's some sort of spell that is causing you not to be able to speak then you're uh, out of luck um, the next component you might have is somatic so somatic is you know it might include forceful or dramatic gestures you know making crazy hand motions or you know waving your arms in the air like you just don't care um, and, you know might be intricate <laughs> patterns of body movements the caster must have free use of at least one hand to perform these gestures. So as long as you've got one hand, so you could be a one-handed spellcaster. You're good to go. Uh, the uh, wouldn't recommend it. Um, the uh, last component that you've got is material components. Um, the casting of some spells require particular objects specified in parentheses in the spell descriptions. A character can use what's called a component pouch or a spellcasting focus. I talked about that earlier with the bard. Typically, their magical instrument might be their spellcasting focus. They can use that or a component pouch in place of the required components, unless a component has a like a money value, which will be listed as uh, how many gold pieces it's worth in the spell description. Um, because there'll be there'll be items in there that sound like they might be you know valuable that sort of thing, but unless it has a actual money value listed, like a what is it, like a five thousand a gem encrusted bowl worth five thousand gold pieces, uh, unless it's got something like that, then you can replace it with your spellcasting focus or something from your component pouch, um, a component or a component that costs some gold pieces is cannot be substituted either um, like I just said just said that um, <laughs> some components will state um, that they are consumed by the spell so it might be like a big diamond that you've got to spend to do the revivify spell which brings people back to life um, and therefore have to be provided each time so those are typically those spells that are, you know, much more powerful, are really great to have. You know, there's there's a cost, there's a balance to it all. You know, you can throw some pretty cool magic, but it's going to cost you some some stuff that you're going to either have yeah, to. Yeah, can't be all willy nilly with it. Yeah, you're either going to have to invest some time trying to find some materials or some money. Um, just like the somatic component. The caster must have free use of at least one hand, and the good thing is it can be the same hand used for somatic components. You uh, one-handed spell uh, spellcaster, you're still in luck. So, um, and one thing this this part right here, if you want a good example of kind of how these components go in uh, in combat, if you listen to, I keep hyping on them. They're 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 great. Uh, critical role. The, um, the player, Liam O'Brien, his character, Caleb Widogast, he's a wizard, and he 
he does some great descriptions of you know using the uh, somatic and material components uh, for spells whenever he's casting them. You know, talking about like taking a pinch of sulfur out of his component pouch, or like you know grasping, you know, crumbling up the cocoon of a you know of a butterfly to cast polymorph or something like that. And it's great descriptions. I love how he does it. Um, he also talks about spreading guano all over his hands. So that's a great picture. Um, <laughs> ew. Uh, that's so, gross. Yeah. And some, some people even take it as far as with the verbal components, you know, they may, you know, look up somebody's translation of draconic if they want to, you know, have their character throw in some draconic as like the way they're going to you know, tap into the weave of magic um, with their verbal component, just all flavor. So it makes it fun. Or you can just say, uh, yeah, fireball, that guy right there, which is mostly how it goes. <laughs> and I want that guy on fire right now. <laughs> and maybe all of us, if we're not careful. <laughs> Oops. So the other kind of thing that would be uh, a component, I mean, not something necessarily that you would use for it, but it's going to be the duration, which that is the length of time uh, that a spell persists. And this can be expressed in rounds, minutes, hours, or even years. Some last until the spell is dispelled or even destroyed, or if there's something holding that attachment to it. So uh, the different types would be of duration would be instantaneous. And this is magic that only lasts for an instant, and so it cannot be dispelled. And that's kind of also the time that it takes to cast it. So if something is instantaneous, it's you have the components, and then you just boom, bam, it's cast, it's it's out there. Whereas you get into the to the next one, which is concentration, and some some spells specify that you have to maintain a concentration to keep the spell active, or to complete the casting of that spell. So. The caster can end concentration at any time without requiring an action, as long as they just kind of like say, you know, I drop the spell or I drop the concentration of this spell or whatever. So normal activity like moving or attacking does not interfere with the concentration. However, there are a few things that do. So the first one would be casting another spell that requires concentration. Um, I mean, easy enough. If you're going to cast one spell that has concentration, you're already concentrating on a spell. You have to cut drop that first one so you're able to cast the the next one that requires concentration kind of another kind of a no-brainer type thing so the next thing would be taking damage um, it will require a constitution saving throw to maintain concentration and the dc or the difficulty check is 10 or half the damage taken whichever is higher so if you take damage from multiple sources you must make a saving throw for each one of those so if you do take um damage you know you, as long as you make those calculations and you make that save uh, then you keep your concentration up if not then you drop that uh, again as we said before you don't lose that spell slot um, if you unless it's listed in there but that was with rituals but uh, again just depends on if you drop it or not uh, if you were going to cast it or if you already were casting it and trying to maintain it then that'll have different effects on on what happens when you drop it so another one would be being incapacitated or killed. You know, that's pretty much self-explanatory. So if you if you go unconscious, if you get knocked down, you know, your hit points go down, you go unconscious, you're not able to ma maintain any spells or concentration or anything <laughs> yeah, like that. You're much more focused and, on dying. <laughs> yeah, or if you are dead, you ain't focused on nothing. So yeah. 
so that that's one way to you know slightly interrupt a spell if if you're dead. So, <laughs> but uh, Did I need another thing, uh, the dungeon mask. Yeah, I, I would live the good right. life of trying to cast that spell. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> So the, uh, the, dungeon ma- the dungeon master may also decide that certain environmental factors may call for a saving throw of, uh, or a dis- difficulty DC check of 10. So some examples would include like if you're out fighting something on the beach or something, or you're out in kind of high waters and there's waves crashing over you, or if you're on a ship and it's like rocking back and forth really bad, uh, or if the ground collapses out from under you, underneath you while you're standing there fighting or you know, things like that, things that could, you know, mess you up and um, make you possibly drop your concentration that aren't combat related. So, but then uh, after that, so we've got our targets, which, I mean, that's, that's pretty self-explanatory as well. These are what your spells are going to have effects on. So typically spells will require that you select the target of your spell or any spell or anything like that. Uh, the spell will also specify what type of target that you can t- target. So creatures, objects, or a point of origin uh, for an area of effect with which Patrick will be going over next. Um, but the caster must have a clear path to the target. Um, you can target yourself if the spell can target a creature. So you might be wanting to do some sort of like, sort of like, sacrifice yourself for the party kind of a deal where normally you would cast a spell, you know, that might like cause some sort of explosion on a creature, but you cast it on yourself because you're like surrounded and, you know, something like that. But, um, only if it's specified that you can cast it on or target a creature. And some spells may specify that the creature must be hostile or a creature other than you. So sometimes that'll put it in there. So just make sure you're reading through your descriptions before you start, uh, slinging your spells. Yeah, um, and you know, to caveat on that, uh, spells that target yourself—they don't always have to be like the fireball spell, like centered on yourself or anything. It can be something protective, you know, like a shield, um, that sort of thing. Um, and getting into kind of the shape and size of those, we're going to talk about area of effect. So some spells have a area of effect, um, which usually is in the shape uh, one of five different shapes which I believe is found on 204, page 204 of the player's handbook. Um, You can see little diagrams, little drawings of those. And uh, every uh, area of effect spell has a point of origin, and sometimes a a point in space, and sometimes it's a creature or an object from which the magic erupts. So the first spell we're going to, or sorry, first shape we're going to talk about, uh, back to geometry class, uh, it's a cone. Uh, it extends in a direction you choose from its point of origin. A cone's width at a given point is equal to the distance from the point of origin. So, to give you an example, if a cone um, is a if a cone reaches 15 feet, that means at the end of it, when it's 15 feet away from its point of origin, it's also 15 feet wide. Um, so, and so on. A cone's point of origin is not included in its area of effect unless you decide otherwise. Next shape is the cube, um, the stately cube. Uh, you select the point of origin, which can be anywhere on a face of the cube shape. 
linked in the description is the length of each side. A cube's point of origin is not included in its area of effect unless you decide otherwise. And the next is a cylinder. Um, the point of origin is the center of the circle that makes up one of the ends. So if you think about a cylinder shape, it's got t two circles on each, or a circle on each end. Um, the circle must be on the ground or at the height of the spell effect. The energy expands out from the point of origin to form a circle, then sh shoots up from the ground or down from the top to a distance equal to the height of the cylinder. The point of origin is included in the cylinder's area of effect. Next is the line. A line extends from a point of origin in a straight path up to its length. It covers a width defined in its description. So a line area of effect spell may say it's 10 feet wide, 15 feet wide, or just 5. Um, the point of origin is not included in the area of effect unless you say otherwise. And the last one is the sphere. You select a point of origin, and the sphere extends outward from that point. The size is expressed as a radius from that point. A sphere's point of origin is included in the AOE. There's really not any way it couldn't be. <laughs> um, and I want to talk about saving throws next, Brady. So if you find yourself in an area of effect, you might have to make one of these. That's right. So saving throws that we've covered in other episodes, um, these are just specific rolls or checks that you have to make or pass to be able to either uh, avoid damage or have the damage halved or anything like that. So many spells specify that a target make a saving throw, and the spell specifies what ability is used and what happens on a success or failure. So um, you'll have to make like constitution saving throws or dexterity saving throws or, uh, you know, just another example would be like wisdom saving throws for a lot of like mind controlling type things uh, but the saving throw to resist your spells is 8 plus your spell casting ability modifier plus your proficiency bonus plus any other special modifiers so these will all be stated in uh, your description of the spell or you'll have your spell casting modifier and everything listed uh, with your character description so this would be what the creature that you are casting this spell on has to either meet or exceed to determine what happens with that spell. So it might be a miss, it might be take half damage, or it might be just take the full damage. So uh, that's that's something that you would have to see and read with your description. Yeah. Um, let's see. Next we're going to talk about the attack rolls. So some spells require the caster to make an attack. Um, just like, you know, it's the attack action, but it's like a spell attack. Uh, so you're going to make an attack roll just like you would with a ranged attack or a melee attack to determine if your spell hits. And the spell description will tell you how to do that. Your attack bonus equals your spellcasting ability modifier plus your proficiency bonus. So it's just like attacking with a weapon. You know, if you're using dexterity for a ranged weapon, you would use your dexterity ability modifier plus your proficiency bonus. So it's just the same. If you're casting spells as a wizard, more than likely it's going to be a intelligence ability modifier plus your proficiency bonus to see if you hit. Um, if the spell is a ranged attack, um, so if you have to cast it from far away, remember that 
Um, those ranged attacks have disadvantage within five feet of the creature if it can see you and isn't incapacitated. So if you're sneaking up on somebody, you can put your hand right against their back and not you know, necessarily miss, necessarily. Um, and if they're laying on the ground, you you know have a pretty good chance of hitting them too. Um, so and another thing, final thing to talk about is with all these spells, there's tons of different you know damage types, whether it be fire, lightning, poison, uh, acid, all that stuff. And so those are a bunch of different magical effects. And so they combine. Um, and so the effects of different spells overlap. Um, but if you have kind of two castings of the same spell, so if let's say there's two wizards, um, if you if they both cast fireball on the same spot and you know a, a target's within that spot, those the spells don't overlap as far as the magical effects. So the damage still would you know of course happen, but it's not going to be like you know you're burning twice as badly. <laughs> no, you're just getting blasted twice as bad. Um, so, and it's one good example is, uh, you know, if you cast the bless spell, which can help, you know, a character, you know, give them a bonus whenever they make certain ability checks. If you, if another character also casts the bless spell on the same target, they don't count like double bless. You're not twice as hashtag blessed. Um, it's just the one, the one blessed. So it's they, those don't stack. That's right. Yeah, and I mean, really, one of the biggest takeaways from from this is if you do decide to play a character that does spellcasting, the biggest thing we can tell you is to just read over your class, make sure you understand your spellcasting ability modifier and all that stuff, but then also don't burden yourself with learning the spells that are like your eighth, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth level spells. If you're only like a third level, you know, wizard or whatever, just worry about the spells that you have in your level um, cap kind of frame area that you're learning, learn those and get those down. Well, just like yourself, not not necessarily talking about in your character, but like yourself, understanding what they do, what they cost, how you cast them, how long it takes to cast them, the effects that they have, um, and stuff like that. If you can get that and understand that pretty easily and get those fundamentals as you level up, those ones that you've been doing all the time will kind of, in a sense, become your own like cantrip type things because you understand them and how to cast them where you can spend more time learning and focusing on learning these new spells that you get as you level up. So just, just know your character and know the spells and just know how the spells work. That's really the biggest thing because nothing slows down combat. Like somebody who has either learned a new spell or, you know, doesn't really understand their magical character that well. And they have to stop and read their description of all their spells to decide what they want to cast and then decide which spell they're casting, and then figure out how to cast the spell, it really can drag combat down. So just just, yeah. uh, just learn your learn your spells and learn your character. I mean, that's really really the biggest takeaway. Yeah. I say you, you wanted to shoot lightning from your fingertips, so you better be ready to do it. You know? That's right. And you better study as much as your character does or 
prepare as much as your character does to be able to to cast these because it's it's not quite as easy as just running up and hitting something. So, yeah, the good thing is that, um, and you may you know see how many spells there are and maybe seem kind of overwhelming. Um, I guess good thing is is that uh, don't worry, you don't get access to every spell. <laughs> you uh, you know each class has a specific spell list. Um, so a you know druid is going to be able to cast some spells that nobody else can cast, um, which make it unique, but uh, also make it to where like you know you may not necessarily have to learn all the other classes' spells. Just focus on yours. Yeah, and there there are some shared spells to where maybe yeah. if you've played another type of um, something that has a little spell or cantrip for something, but yeah, just just worry about your your class, your spell class, and just the the lower spells that you can cast. Don't be worrying about these other things that you know druids or whatever else can cast at higher levels. Like just just focus on yourself and focus on your your spells, and uh, that'll definitely help you in the long run. Yeah, and I guess one parting piece of advice is never, say, count out the weird utility spells. I was once yeah. saved by Fog Cloud, and it was the perfect spell that our druid just randomly decided, you know what, I don't know what to choose uh, today, a Fog Cloud. And it saved our bacon, and it was it was great. Made for one of the best stories I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah, and even using using combat spells like outside of combat too. Yeah. I mean, yep. there's I mean it's it's a sandbox game. You can do whatever you want yeah. within the bounds of the rules. But uh, that's pretty much going to be it for today's episode on magic and spellcasting. There's a lot more in depth stuff that you can go into, but we just wanted again just do this kind of higher over overpass kind of a thing, um, high level not really get into the nitty gritty. We'll save that for future episodes. Um, but we hope that you've enjoyed it and found it informative. If you haven't already, um, please consider subscribing and uh, reviewing us on iTunes. It would mean a lot and tell your friends and spread the word because we don't really advertise for, uh, pay for advertisements or anything like that. It's just mostly word of mouth, uh, and our social media and stuff that we use. So, uh, but please let us know if you have any questions or if you have something that you'd like to hear about in a future episode by emailing us at the vitamin D and D podcast at gmail.com. That's the vitamin D, the letter in the podcast at gmail.com uh, or Facebook uh, at uh, or our Facebook page at vitamin D and D podcast or our other social media, which Patrick is going to tell you a little bit more about. Yeah, just quick word. We've got uh, Twitter and instagram as well and i'm not gonna say their handles so i don't trip over them like i did last episode but just look for those you know little buttons or the names to be listed out um, on our website uh shortly and if all else fails just search for vitamin D &D podcast Uh, i think we're the only one so uh, you should be able to find us it should pop right up yeah Yeah. and uh, that place that you can find us on our um, website is going to be the same thing as our email, which is the vitamin D and D podcast, which is the vitamin D, the letter in D podcast.wordpress.com. And, uh, you can check us out there. I'm still working on, on the name, but, uh, 
but yeah, keep an eye out for, for next week's episode, uh, where we'll be talking about, uh, being the DM kind of behind the screen, uh, combat as the DM. And we're going to start kind of really putting more of these things together. So we'll be talking about combat. We'll be talking about melee combat. We'll be talking about spell casting and, uh, skill checks and kind of a lot of everything that we've been talking about for the past you know all these past episodes so um join back next week and check out that next episode if you want to really start putting things together but other than that patrick do you have any last words nope i'd say just looking forward to it uh, you know i feel like we're approaching the end of our first season and so uh it's almost time to graduate to level two that's right. We've still got a few more uh, episodes in store for this for this season, and then we'll be moving on to our next season. But other than that, um, we hope you enjoyed today. So take it easy, and we'll see you after your long rest. Bye.